an anthology about the bad, the short-lived, and the forgotten shows and events in television history. This is It Was a Thing on TV. Before I change my mind! I give you Super Train! Episode 444, submission number 133, What Happens When a Star Dies? This is a deep dive episode that investigates the times in television history when a castmate dies in the middle of a production. And before we begin, just a bit of a heads up, we're going to get into some serious talk here. If you find any of this subject matter upsetting, you may want to skip this one. And if you or someone you love is in crisis, we encourage you to reach out to the Lifeline by calling or texting 988 or go to speakingofsuicide.com slash resources for assistance. That being said, it's time to talk about what happens when you have a very popular TV show with a very popular star, and all of a sudden, the star dies. Now, there are some very creative workarounds that have worked for some shows. There's rejiggering of premise, and then there's moments when you just cancel the show. One of the most notable times when a star died in the middle of production was Freddie Prinz, who played Chico Rodriguez in Chico and the Man with Jack Albertson. By this time, Freddie Prinz had completed 62 episodes. But then... On January 29, 1977, Freddie Prinze died due to a self-inflicted gunshot to the head. Episodes completed prior to his death were aired on schedule, and the first aired episode included an acknowledgement from producer James Comack, thanking everybody for their kind words and outpouring of sympathy. Following the last completed episode... Chico's absence was explained as being away. But on the final season, they bring in a 12-year-old boy named Raul, played by Gabriel Melgar. And this episode aired a year after Freddie Prince's death, Raul Runs Away. It was a very special episode. It explained that Chico had died but did not give an explanation. But at the end of that season, the show was canceled. It wasn't Chico and the Man without Chico. And the 12-year-old, little Chico, did not help. Another tragedy happened in 2003, when in the middle of shooting episodes of Eight Simple Rules for Dating My Teenage Daughter, John Ritter suffered an aortic dissection and died. His character was explained by having succumbed to a heart attack in the two-part season premiere, Goodbye. And they had to bring in two people to sort of fill in that role. James Garner 
and David Spade. It went on for a couple more seasons, but the plot was lost by then, I think. But if you are a millennial, then no doubt you remember what happened with Corey Monteith's character, Finn Hudson, in the episode The Quarterback on Glee. Production was delayed to give cast members a chance to grieve, and they shared their grief in the episode The Quarterback, which featured many people remembering the life of Finn Hudson. And I don't know if you remember that episode, but it was just a really emotional time. That tribute episode did not specify what Finn died of. It just specified that Finn was gone. Of course, Corey tragically died due to circumstances that are not important here. And then we have Luke Perry. Now, we grew up watching Luke Perry on 90210, and we thought this guy had a future. Turns out he did. Played Fred Andrews on 42 episodes of Riverdale. Fred Andrews, of course, the father of Archie Andrews. In 2019, he died because of a stroke. His character was killed off with an off-screen hit-and-run accident in the season four premiere, and the show just went on. And then you have one of the more creative ways of dealing with the death of a beloved castmate, and that would be the death of Jack Sue, who played Nick Yamana on Barney Miller. He died in 1979 due to complications from esophageal cancer. The character was written out without explanation. There are some episodes that allude to Yamana's death. He last appeared in Season 5, Episode 9, and the 14th episode, that's five new episodes later, aired on the same day Jack Sue died, and in the spring of 79, the cast broke the fourth wall and basically shared their grief with the viewing audience in a special tribute episode. And that's a really great episode if you ever see it on Antenna TV. Oh, not just Antenna TV. It's been on one of those reconfigured religious channels. Not inspiration, FETV, because they show Barney Miller like two episodes uh, every day around midnight. And I've seen them go through the entire cycle of shows probably three times in the last year. That's a very heavy episode. Absolutely. Around that same time, maybe a couple of years later, we had the death of Jim Davis, who played the patriarch of the Ewing family, Jock Ewing, on Dallas. He died of multiple myeloma, and after an extended absence, his character was killed off in a fiery helicopter crash. But that wasn't the only death that show had, because if you remember, there was a reboot. Larry Hagman was all too happy to get involved with that. But after 17 episodes, he too died from cancer. This time it was acute myeloid leukemia. I'm kind of sort of hesitant to say that this was genius writing, but J.R. Ewing was killed off with two fatal gunshot wounds. An obvious homage to who shot J.R. 
and if I recall, the writers did it like a mystery, kind of like a murder mystery thing, with like Jr. providing the clues from like the grave. It seemed in season two of the TNT run, there was actually two really good episodes. Uh, that would be episode eight, Jr.'s masterpiece. And episode 15, Legacies, it finally answered the question that was uttered in The Furious and the Fast. Who shot JR? And I don't even remember who ultimately did it. It sure as hell wasn't Mary Crosby. But Dallas would go on for another season, and then... It would be canceled at the end of 2014. But you want to talk about tragic. You want to talk about all the feels. When Marsha Wallace died and The Simpsons basically aired that tribute at the beginning of the 25th season episode, The Man Who Grew Too Much. It began, as it usually does, with Bart Simpson at the chalkboard writing his little... I will not, blah, 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 blah. But instead, we see Bart Simpson with this sad look on his face, writing one line. We'll really miss you, Mrs. K. At the end of that episode, sort of bookending everything, Ned recalls how much he loved Edna. He called Mrs. Krabappel Edna. And he and Nelson mourn her death. Suffice it to say, it was a fitting tribute to a beloved character. From one Fox animated sitcom to another, as we go to Family Guy, where we have not one, but two passings of two beloved characters. And the first one we're going to talk about is Carrie Fisher. Carrie Fisher, in case you didn't know, played Peter's boss at the, I took it, Pete beer factory and we know how she uh, unfortunately passed and peter ended up uh, getting a new boss who's played by michael dorn uh, a much stricter boss than carrie fisher ever was even though carrie fisher as boss was uh, sort of a hen pecking type of boss but i think the bigger death is adam west because if you don't remember adam west played the mayor on family guy he was the mayor of Quahog, and after his passing we have a new mayor played by sam elliott and oddly enough the character name for sam elliott is wild wild west so keeping the last name west but now sort of playing off the fact that sam elliott is this tough this uh cowboy type uh who you've seen in plenty of shows and movies over the years but the true legacy of the show regarding Adam West isn't just you know, him being the mayor for 20 years, but I think the big legacy for Adam West in family guy lore, they renamed the high school in Quahog. It used to be called James Woods high, but obviously we know that James Woods hasn't really done some of the smartest stuff in the last say decade or so. So maybe they found an opportunity and they renamed the school Adam West High School. Now, hold on. We know the real reason why they've renamed the school. 
is because they probably were so ashamed of glass holes. We're trying to keep it serious. Come on. He's not wrong, though. Okay, with that, I'm going to give it back to Chico because this was a surprising death, and I think possibly some of us may still be in a little bit of denial over it because it was so unexpected. It's like for the last three years, we've been watching Leslie Jordan tear it up on social media and also tear it up on television. I mean, he was on The Cool Kids. He was in the middle of doing Call Me Cat. But then all of a sudden, he had a heart problem and he died in the middle of shooting what would be season three of Call Me Cat. And they just wrote the character out as having moved to Tahiti. And my Bialik has said that after the show took a production pause for a couple of weeks for everybody to grieve, the cast felt very strongly and completely unanimously that the thought of doing a funeral episode while we are actively grieving our friend, it felt like a hurdle. We weren't sure we all wanted to jump together. I think Leslie Jordan was known so much for being Leslie, and while we also love him and know him as Phil, he's such a beloved personality, truly larger than life, to try and encapsulate that felt challenging in that ways that I don't know would have been healthy for us as a cast or a production. So we found a way for him to live forever. His character will live forever, and he can have whatever adventures we all imagine. So they all go to Tahiti, they meet Phil's mother, and has learned that Phil is not returning to Kentucky. He and Jalen plan to marry in Tahiti and run a bakery there. And two weeks later, everyone is returned home from attending Phil and Jalen's wedding in Tahiti and contemplate life without him. At the end, they all break the fourth wall, acknowledging Leslie Jordan's death, and a video tribute from Dolly Parton is followed by a montage of scenes featuring Phil set to Jordan and Parton's duet, Where the Soul Never Dies. I think that's very beautiful. And then there's the case of Jerry Orbach, who's basically the face of the franchise, well, one of the faces of the franchise of Law & Order. You know it best as Lenny Briscoe. Oh yeah, Lenny Briscoe was Law and Order. He was the man on Law and Order. It's like whenever Jerry Orbach appeared, it's like, yeah, that's Briscoe. He was in Law and Order's third season. That's when we saw him first. And from there we see him transferred over to Staten Island and then brought back after going into early retirement to take care of his wife. And then he's brought back for Law & Order Trial by Jury. And this is after appearances on The Mothership, Life on the Street, SBU, and Criminal Intent. Jerry Orbach died December 28, 2004 from prostate cancer. And in 2005, his character was written out after the second episode of Trial by Jury. Originally going to be in an episode, Baby Boom, a memorial scene was filmed, but it was not aired. His absence is never acknowledged, but his death is alluded to elsewhere in the universe. 
And then how about this? Stanley Campbell from Monk. Dr. Charles Kroger, Adrian's therapist. He died in 2008 of a heart attack. So Dr. Kroger was killed by a heart attack and replaced by Dr. Nevin Bell, portrayed by Hector Elizondo. Not much of the way of tribute. It's just, you know, we replace the character and we move on. Which is the same with our next person we're going to be talking about. Where Yeah, after three seasons of Coach Pantuso on Cheers, Nicholas Colasanto died of a heart ailment. He was killed off at the beginning of season four and replaced with Woody Boyd, played, of course, by Woody Harrelson. And it was kind of creative because I think the way they wrote Woody into the show was Woody was Coach's pen pal and he went up to Cheers to meet him and then he found out he passed away. And so the people at the bar thought, oh, well, you know what? Let's give Woody his old job. So that's how they wrote him into the show. That was actually pretty uh, ingenious. And then we have Nancy Marchand, who, of course, played the matriarch of the Soprano family, Livia Soprano. She died in the middle of producing season three. And according to Truth by Consensus Wikipedia, a storyline was planned where Livia would be called to testify against her son, Tony Soprano, in court, giving evidence on stolen airline tickets she had received from him. But after Marchand died in 2000, existing footage and computer-generated imagery was used to create a final scene between Tony and Livia before the character, too, died. It cost HBO a quarter of a million dollars. Now, we talked about this person before in previous entry, Voyagers, but now here's the case of John Eric Hexum, who was in the middle of shooting cover-ups one and only season. He managed to get seven episodes in the can. Unfortunately, he was playing around on the set. He had an accident, a self-inflicted blank cartridge accident, and... It was explained in the universe, and we will talk about this when we eventually cover cover up. Matt Harper was not coming back. According to the credits, when a star dies, its light continues to shine across the universe for millenniums. John Eric Hexum died in October of this year, but the lives he touched will continue to be brightened by his light forever. Endeavor. His role as the partner of Danny Reynolds would go to Anthony Hamilton, who would, of course, be the muscle on the new Mission Impossible. From there, we go to season five of Gimme a Break. Dolph Sweet had already recorded four seasons as Carl Kaniski. Over the interregnum, he died due to cancer. This was addressed in the beginning of Season 5. Nell is sad 
and doesn't want anyone to remind her of the chief since he died. Joey receives part of a toy train the chief gave him and puts it in the chief's room. Nell gets mad when Jonathan insists that he and Julie move into the chief's old room, but gets extremely mad when Joey plays with his train in it. Grandpa, played by John Hoyt, says that Carl would have been happy at the family is still together, bringing him up in their daily discussions. He says they all loved him, and that it's not right not to talk about him, because he was loved by them. Nell then changes her mind and lets Joey keep the train in the chief's old room, and lets Julie and Jonathan move into it. And at the end of the episode, camera focuses on the chief's photo, and the screen slowly fades to black with no applause. It doesn't happen often, but usually when somebody dies... That's the end of the show. That was the case when Ted Knight recorded six seasons of Too Close for Comfort. Of course, the sixth season, with a change in premise and a change in scenery, would air as the Ted Knight show. Production was supposed to get started on the next season, with Ted Knight's character planning on returning to work. But then Ted Knight perished due to complications from colorectal cancer. Episodes that were completed prior to his final illness aired on schedule through the end of the 86-87 season, and then the show was canceled. And the Ted Knight show was rolled into the syndication package of the other five seasons of Too Close for Comfort. And then there's something as easy to write around as Doctor Who, where Roger Delgado, who, if I'm not mistaken, was the first actor to play the Master. Yes, it was. Died in a traffic collision. So, you are the Master. Your actor died. What happens? We regenerate, and we move on. And that's exactly what happened. Roger Delgado regenerated into Anthony Ainley. Wait, I'm not going to stand for this Jeffrey Beavers or Ray Chico. Because didn't the master like become like this weird, like blackish thing? That was after Anthony Ainley, wasn't it? No, no, that was when Roger Delgado died, like years later. Oh. That's okay. how they explained it. And that's how they transitioned to Anthony Ainley later in 81. Oh, okay. I keep getting my masters mixed up. It was Roger Delgado, then Jeffrey Beavers, then Anthony Ainley, then Eric Roberts, then Derek Jacoby, then John Sim, then Michelle Gomez, and then Sasha Dawan. Yes. Now, the next one is a bit of a weird case because it is Power Rangers' Twee Trong. Tweet Trog was the first person on the uh, franchise to actually die in real life. She died in a car crash. It was a very sad moment. But by that time, she had already quit the cast. But I included her in this list because her character plays a pivotal role in last year's Power Rangers Once and Always, where... 
Trini is back as the Yellow Ranger, but Robo Rita kills her, and the mantle is picked up by her daughter Min, played by Charlie Kirsch. So, a bit of a tribute there as we see a whole lot of imagery of Trini, and you see the uh, crayon coloring of Trini and Little Min together. But a bit of a fitting tribute there, albeit a few years late. These next two, and these are the last two on our list proper, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get through these. Because the first one, when I heard about it, it was just an absolute gut check. We all remember the case of Phil Hartman in 1998. He was murdered by his wife in a murder-suicide. And this was when he was in the middle of doing season five of News Radio, which I watched religiously back in the day. I was a big fan of Dave Foley. I was a big fan of Phil Hartman. I was a big fan of Candy Alexander. So when Phil Hartman died in the middle of doing news radio, I'm like, how are they even going to continue this? In an office full of crazies, he was basically chief crazy. But Bill McNeil was explained away as having died of a heart attack at the beginning of season five. They had a tribute episode, and then they introduced his replacement, Max Lewis, played by longtime friend John Lovitz. I could not for the life of me. I mean, John Lovitz would have to be one of the best actors in the business to take up that mantle. I mean, you go in with awfully big shoes to fill, it is just absolutely shocking. And while we're talking about Phil Hartman, his characters on The Simpsons, Troy McClure and Lionel Hutz, they've since been retired. No recasting. They occasionally appear in background shots, but that is the end of that. But perhaps the most gut-wrenching of all of the deaths on our list here. Will Lee from Sesame Street. Mr. Hooper himself. Mr. Hooper, he was everybody's favorite shopkeeper. His name is on the sign. We can't just explain this away. And the challenge comes because this is a kid's show not just a kid's show, a long-running young kid's show. You have to be the one to explain that Mr. Hooper is gone and he's not coming back. And again, you need to explain this in a way that a four- or five-year-old could understand. And all of this would be explained in the November 24th, 1983 episode Goodbye, Mr. Hooper. I'm going back to Wikipedia on this. Research was conducted to ascertain the messages they want to convey about the topic, as well as the effect of the episode would have on young children who watched it. They were advised by experts in the fields of child psychology, child development, and religion. 
Studies conducted after the episode was produced showed that most children understood the messages about death, and they experienced no long-term ill effects. Norman Stiles, who wrote the episode, reports that the cast and crew thought that filming it was an emotional and touching experience, setting the standard for dealing with difficult topics on children's television. It was heartbreaking, yet affirming, and remains one of the proudest moments in the show's history. The episode ended with Big Bird hanging Mr. Hooper's picture near his nest, Louise knocks on the door to introduce the new baby, followed by the entire grown-up cast, and Big Bird says, You know what the nice thing is about new babies? One day they're not here, and the next day, here they are. It's a sort of a nice tone shift, because like five or ten minutes beforehand, Big Bird gets the news that Mr. Hooper is not coming back. And Big Bird's like, why does it have to be this way? Give me one good reason. And Gordon, who at this point is played by Roscoe Orman, says, it has to be this way because. And the only thing that he's left to say because of the running gag of mispronouncing his name so much, he just looks at the picture and says, I'm going to miss you, Mr. Hooper. Imagine me three years old, watching this, not having much in the way of any understanding as to life and death, and all of a sudden, I have questions for the first time in my life. I imagine that that is what exactly the producers of Sesame Street was going for when they aired that episode. I definitely think they were trying to spur on some sort of conversation between parents and children about death, because really how many people at that age, three, four, five, six years old have experienced death at that point. Me, I would have been probably about seven or eight when Mr. Hooper died, but I remember it very clearly. And really the only person in my family that had passed away at that point was my great grandmother. And the only thing I remember about her or her house or her passing was it was the day of my grandmother's birthday. They actually returned from a party for my grandmother and, uh, and she passed away walking up the stairs to her house. But yeah, I mean, I don't remember anything about going to a funeral. I don't remember anything about, you know, some sort of explanation about death. It was essentially your great-grandmother passed away. How do you convey that to, I would have been five or six years old at the time. And I totally understand it. I really understand it because not to bring it towards me by any means, but obviously in case you don't know, uh, I lost uh, half my leg, my left leg uh, about three and a half years ago. And First time my cousin, who would have been probably about two or three at the time, now is five or six, he asked, you know, what happened to your leg? And I actually had to call his mom over and say, 
how do I answer this? I mean, yeah, I could get all scientific and stuff like that, but I don't want to talk above a, a two or three year old's head. And so the mother simply said his leg was sick. And that makes the most sense. I mean, that's something a, a kid can understand. And, and I actually appreciated it without getting into unnecessary details. You're not necessarily unnecessary, but unnecessary to a two or three year old. So, yeah, I hope that was really the uh, end result of uh, uh, of the Mr. Hooper uh, passing is spurring on conversation about death, about the eventualities. Because fortunately, we're all going to go at some time. And obviously, you know, if you have pets, they're going to go at some time. And it's not easy to convey that to a kid, let alone a real young kid, a, a two or three year old. But I have the feels. I, I've been very quiet throughout most of this episode because I've been doing a lot of contemplation and reflection and uh, a, a lot of these hit very close to home for me. Especially Phil Hartman, especially uh, Will Lee, as we just mentioned, but uh, this is definitely not a happy-go-lucky episode. I'm sorry if the the, the timbre of the episode is sort of down, but sometimes we got to talk about these serious subjects. And I do want to add, by no means is this list complete. There are many people that we have failed to talk about that doesn't minimize the importance of their deaths. Some names that we did not talk about in this episode. Uh, from Night Court, we had Selma Diamond, who is the bailiff uh, on Night Court besides uh, Richard Maul. Uh, she was on for the first two seasons. She passed away. And then they replaced her with Florence Halep, who only was on season three because she unfortunately passed away. And we got Marsha Warfield afterwards, and she's still with us. Uh, Diana Highland on Eight is Enough. Zara Cully on The Jeffersons. Will Gear, who is the grandfather on The Waltons. The Big Bang Theory. Carol Ann Susie. I know she was like a secondary character, but Wallowitz's mom. Just a classic voice, a classic actress. I love it. The Young and the Restless, Christoph St. John. I don't think we uh, maybe realize how much of an impact he had on that show. He was on there forever, it seemed. Yeah. Maybe not forever, but at least I'd say, what, 25, 30 years? He was on there a long time. Seemingly forever. He was Malcolm Winters to a generation. And then Archer, uh, Jessica Walter, uh, the District Linthig Pen. Oh. That hurts because, again, that's another person from a lot of her childhoods uh, playing the chief on Where in the World is Carmen San Diego. Uh, Michael Conrad and Hill Street Blues. Anthony Bourdain. I mean, we could just say Anthony Bourdain, period, because, you know, once he passed, obviously his show ended, but. He left such an amazing legacy. He was uh, awesome, Anthony Bourdain. I mean, I think, at least in my opinion, I didn't appreciate his awesomeness until after he died. And that makes me feel a little guilty that I didn't appreciate it sooner. Uh, the Joker's Wild, uh, Jack Berry's passing, Pastor Plus, Alan Ludden's passing, Gene Siskel with Siskel and Ebert. What's my line? Uh, both the passing of Fred Allen, but also Dorothy Kilgallen. 
Dan Blocker's passing uh, from Bonanza. I think that's has a pretty big impact, even though Bonanza would only last uh, a couple more years after Dan Blocker's passing. Uh, George Reeves's passing uh, regarding the adventures of Superman. And lastly, uh, Joseph Kern's passing uh, related to the Dennis the Menace series. So again, by no means was our show complete by any means, but hopefully we gave a fair number of people their due recognition. Once again, apologies for the tone shift, but this is something that we had in the hopper for a long time. Wanted to get it out of the way. We'll be back with happier topics next week. For example, one network with one show, and it lasted less than a year. Lasted less than that. It lasted about a month. Could you even call it a network? Yes, it had affiliates, but we'll get to that next week. It's an interesting story about a network that wanted to become the fourth network at the time. We'll get into it next week. Also, we're going to have another show. We had to do a little reconfiguring of the schedule. We don't know what's going to be there just yet. So that's going to be a surprise, not just to you, but probably to us as well. So we're going to talk about that network and then something else. We don't know what we're going to talk about. It'll be right here. And it was a thing on TV. Thank you very much. And again, we I apologize. And I'm sure Chico and Greg do too. If we conjured up any sort of emotions I know it was a very deep episode, but uh, as Chico said, this is a topic we've had sort of bouncing around for the last four to five years, and uh, I'm glad we got it done. It was very emotional. It was not your usual episode, but we'll go back to somewhat more normal episodes, a little bit of normalcy next week. So then we'll see you next week right here. It was a thing on TV.